American United strives to serve those who serve. Ask them about their VA home loans, which offer up to 100% financing, often with no down payment required. Make an appointment to research your options. Learn more at amucu.org. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, we've got Nate Quigley. It's not about making it easier. It's about zero taps. It's about zero clicks. It's about, I never want to look at your app. I just want stuff to show up in my mailbox. Once we got that requirement like pounded into our head, that's what set us off. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, I want to invite you to get involved with Child Rescue, the charity our founders started. To learn more about them, just come to our website, iCollective.co, and check on the Child Rescue tab on our menu. Also, I want to talk to you about one of our show's sponsors. I met these guys back on episode six. CEO Zach Smith was telling me all about starting a skateboard company and how much he hated doing the bookkeeping uh, for a skateboard shop and how he really uh, got led to start this business, Bookly, that's a hybrid combining bookkeeping software and human services. And I'll tell you why I let him become a sponsor. It's because I use their service now. I don't love paying 50 bucks an hour for bookkeepers to do stuff that I know software could do way, way cheaper. But uh, I don't love bookkeeping at all. So I want a real live human who knows what they're talking about to help me with the stuff I don't understand. Uh, Probably the straw that broke the camel's back for me, though, the thing that put me over the top was that they could do my taxes and payroll also. Um, So totally suggest checking them out. Go to their website, bookly.co and check out their flat rates. I've been super happy with them. So now on to today's episode. Nate, thanks for making time. Jess, great to be here. So um, you got kind of a fun background, dropped out of Harvard, worked at McKinsey, uh, started a company and exited, um, done all sorts of things. And now you've got chat books. Um, besides uh, the big news of you guys started and sold a million photo books in your first 18 months. <laughs> Tell us about Chatbooks. Great. Uh, yeah, so Chatbooks was, is the classic overnight success that took about 10 years to finally get some momentum, if you can believe it. Um, so I, I did graduate from Harvard uh, back in 2000 with an MBA. And my first, uh, the first thing we did out of, out, of, out of HBS, we started the company uh, with someone else. It was a really boring enterprise software company focused on the consumer packaged goods industry. We raised some venture capital in Boston. Um, we started running off down this path. We hired about 60 people. We had 20 or 30 customers. We weren't making a dime. Um, and unfortunately that was right around nine 11 and the 2002 recession. So we, we actually had to, in that first business out of school pivot, you know, really hard and kind of reinvent ourselves in order to survive. And that was in 2003, we ended up landing big deals with Pepsi and Procter and Gamble and, a couple of other big consumer records goods names and got the company kind of reinvented and on track and were able to sell the, you know, this, sell the business and this is a few 11? years down the road. This is 11 technology. Yeah. So 
we had, you know, we had a good outcome, but it was a crazy first couple of years where we kind of did everything wrong. And I only bring that up because that pattern repeated itself in, uh, in what's become Chatbooks, our third company. Uh, we actually started having the idea for the business that became Chatbooks as we sold that first company. And we almost had Chatbooks be company number two. Um, we built a prototype for, again, the thing that's evolved into Chatbooks way back in 2005, 2006. Um, but rather than make the full leap and make this, you know, kind of the, the next company, we ended up doing something different and, and trying to do this kind of in the background in the, on weekends at night. I only bring that up because we've been obsessed with what is Chatbooks for like 10 years now. And um, my wife likes to remind me that we've been writing checks to Chatbooks for almost a decade. Um, <laughs> uh, now, it's finally gotten funny, but for a while it was like a little hard because, you know, we, when, we, when we did – so the second company was a company called Live TV. It was TV and internet on airplanes, like commercial airplanes like JetBlue and United. Okay. <clears throat> And that was um, a really fun adventure. We were able to grow that company really significantly in four to six, four to five years. Sold it to a big competitor in the space, and it was a good outcome for investors and for us. Uh, but we immediately then turned to, again, the thing that's become Chatbooks because it had been kind of simmering in the background. The whole time we were working on company number two, this was sort of like the weekend passion project. Um, unfortunately I, at that time, had you know, built and sold two businesses and I thought I knew what I was doing. And so <laughs> we kept charging Sounds dangerous. little, it was very dangerous and very unsuccessful. Um, so, you know, I was convinced I knew what we needed to build and I wasn't really listening to our customers very carefully. So we kept building, you know, iPhone, Android web apps and a big cloud service for helping you safeguard, organize and enjoy your memories. So photos, videos, blog posts, journal entries. We were trying to build a big contraption to make all of that easier for families in particular. And the, the thing was called Just Family. And um, because I think, you know, because I now had two successes, both of them were very enterprisey, you know, in that we were selling complex software or complex systems to really big companies that had really, you know, complex requirements. I ended up building um, with, you know, the team I'd recruited for Just Family. Uh, it was kind of like enterprise resource software for families. And guess what? Like families don't want to use ERP software. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we wrote, you know, millions and it felt, it felt like millions of lines of code, zillions of interfaces. Everything was beautiful. It did a bunch of really cool things, but nobody used it. And uh, it, was, it was pretty painful, you know, to come off of two, you know, decent successes uh, a couple of years into Just Family. We had, you know, zero revenue and almost zero users that cared about us at all. It was like just pure apathy. It was like no one would even try the thing. And if they would try it, they'd immediately quit because it was just too complicated. So luckily my wife intervened and she said, Hey, you know, ding dong, the, the customers we've been talking to and all of my friends that, you know, you've spoken to about, about just family, they've all said they want to, they want a book. They want to take all this stuff, but they want it off their phone. They want it out of the cloud. They want it in a book form. And I, and I absolutely had to agree that I'd heard that hundreds of times. I mean, I'm not exaggerating in the couple of years after we sold the second business and we're working on this one. I'd probably had a hundred women, if not more, who were the folks that actually were talking to me. You know, I couldn't even get guys to talk to me at all about this other business saying they want to print this stuff in a book. 
but I kept, you know, just not hearing it um, out of, I guess, you know, arrogance or stubbornness or, you know, some other entrepreneurial defense mechanism that kicks in when you're, you know, getting a lot of no and a lot of negative feedback. You just kind of shut everything out. At least I did. And so amazingly, I was just as slow with this third business to kind of finally listen and figure it out and get to and get to the right answer as I was in my very first business, which is a little embarrassing. You know, it took us two years of doing the wrong thing and 11 technology to finally hear our customers and pivot hard and then, you know, ultimately become successful. Same thing happened here. I, I like to say it's two, two and a half years of wilderness, you know, between the second company and, and then finally getting Chatbook's formula right. But if I go all the way back to, you know, the initial prototype of Chatbook's, what became Chatbook's, it's almost like eight years, nine years to kind of figure it out, which is a little embarrassing. But long story short, Chatbooks uh, has become a way to automatically create photo books from the photos you're sharing on social networks or with your wife, mom, sister, brother, um, in like a chat interface. So the idea is instead of creating a photo book project and sitting down and spending a couple of weeks, you know, making a photo book like it's a scrapbook, you just download the chatbook's iPhone or Android app, connect it to your Instagram or Facebook account, and then we automatically create photo books for you. And we send you 60-page photo book volumes for eight bucks with free shipping. Well, and that's where I think like a little bit of the magic is, right? Like my wife is a huge fan because, you know, I don't know, 10 years ago, she was super into scrapbooking and then she got into digital scrapbooking she spent all this time making these books and we printed a few of them, but they're, they're like not cheap, you know? Right. And right. so no, it, isn't your deal right. like basically like your books are equivalent to something like five times the price typically? Is that, do I remember that? Yeah, right? we, we really, we really believe that. And, um, we, if you, if you try to find like an equivalent SKU at Shutterfly or at Costco or Walgreens or Apple, you know, photo app on your Mac, uh, to get 60 photos, into a into you know their their low end book you end up spending 35 40 bucks really easily so you know we we feel pretty good about saying we're you know our competitors are literally 5x the price and the most important thing though is they're 50x the effort <laughs> the amount of time the amount of time you would spend kind of formatting and making that book formatting it perfecting it stressing out about the 85 options you have to decide on um you know you you've really you've worked pretty hard and it really did become a project. And at Chatbooks, we want it to be beyond easy. We want it to be automatic. You literally don't do anything. And then you get the product you're looking for. And then you get it at this super affordable price, which means you don't have to think about it. You don't have to stress about, did I have it, do I have it perfect yet? Is it time to order? Or should I spend another three hours tomorrow night, like, you know, fiddling around with it? It's just, hey, it's eight bucks. I spent more than that on lunch. I'm just going to buy it. Yeah. You know, um, we're, we're big fans of kind of the real like human centered design, like the IDEO guys mm-hmm. or the Stanford D school mm-hmm. guys. Right. And yep. you think about like, um, how I, I think for any of us, no matter what we're doing, this idea of like coming at it from the consumer experience, I think it's pretty easy for us to get, uh, excited about selling what we want to sell. Right? right. Rather than thinking about, you know, cause isn't it like, Hey, you know, if I set it for my Instagram, every time I put 60 photos up, it'll automatically make one for me. And I don't even have yeah. to set no, it. That, that's it. That's what I mean by beyond easy or automatic. 
and and that really gets back to you know what you just said embody is, is exactly the story of chapbooks i was building for two and a half years this little passion project of what i thought the world needed and you know what i kind of wanted to use but i'm like a dorky you know enterprise software guy so of course i built the wrong thing but if you start instead from where my wife and her sisters were, I don't want to do anything, like not one new thing. I, I'm already, you know, taking photos of my phone and I'm driving kids, to, driving kids to soccer practice yeah. and dance practice and yeah. 50 other things while getting dinner ready. And so I don't care how beautiful your, your onboarding flow is. I'm not going to do it because I have zero extra time and I just am not looking to add another thing to my to-do list. But I really do want photo books. And if you can give them to me without me you know, having to do a single thing that I'm interested, you know, then, then I'm in. And, and it wasn't until we got that kind of clarity from our user where, you know, we were continuing to tweak. We probably had version, you know, 1.5.75 of, you know, tweaking the app to try to make it easier to use. And it wasn't until we made the, the huge kind of like zero to one type jump of, no, no, it's not about making it easier. It's about zero taps. It's about zero clicks. It's about, I never want to look at your app. I just want stuff to show up in my mailbox. Once we got that requirement like pounded into our head, that's what set us off on, okay, if we're not going to spend any time at all looking at this thing, like zero brain cells getting used, what we can do is we can print your Instagram feed for you in chronological order. And every 60 photos, we'll make a new book volume. And then we'll put the, the date range of the photos in that volume on the spine of the book so that when you take volume 11 out of the mailbox, you look at it, you're, you lay it on the coffee table for a while, your kids enjoy it. And then you walk over to the bookshelf and just set it right there next to volumes 1 through 10. And it looks like this set that you know, you've know you been working really hard on, but you didn't have to even think about it at all. Yeah. And that's when we finally sort of broke through. And what was funny was after, I mean, I guess it's funny in hindsight, but you know, after two and a half, three years of just total wilderness, making no progress. We finally made this sort of last turn to print your Instagram into these automatic book volumes. And we were immediately out of like operational capacity. Like we couldn't print all the books that people were ordering. And then we couldn't answer all of the customer support questions that were coming in on our support. So after like sitting in this quiet room with like the world ignoring you for three years, we were like literally overnight overwhelmed. Uh, which is a fun, a totally fun new problem to work on. But that's why I do kind of, it really was like the classic overnight success 10 years in the making. Yeah. Well, when you, when you think about boiling that down for, for someone else who's trying to invent something or make something better, um, yeah. you know, like let, let's take um, two examples, whether it's an entrepreneur trying to grow a company or whether it's like a corporate innovator who's trying to, you know, move past mediocrity in their bureaucracy, yep. what, what would you distill as kind of some of the biggest lessons for those two people? You know, um, so you're familiar with Y Combinator, I'm sure. Yep. It's sort of like the Stanford of startups. Mm -hmm. I, think it's, I think I heard recently it's actually harder to get into the Y Combinator accelerator than it is to get accepted into Stanford. <laughs> so, um, you know, they've kind of just written the book on how to start a startup and they've, they've you know, there's a, there's a lecture series. I think that's actually the title, How to Start a Startup. Paul Graham, the original founder, has written a bunch of amazing blog posts with sort of the wisdom, not just, not of the ages, but the wisdom of seeing hundreds of these things. And, you know, like there really are at this point, some best practices on how to, how to create something new. They boil, I think you can boil all of that stuff, all of the Y Combinator, how to start a startup lecture series, all of Paul Graham's blog posts down into the one poster they have hanging in the wall in the conference room where 
where they interview candidates to come into Y Combinator. And I wish I would have seen this. I mean, I don't know if I would have listened. I probably wouldn't have. But uh, it does boil down like what I think the, the right the wisdom is on starting a company or starting something new inside of a corporation. So you imagine you're gonna you're trying to interview to get into Stanford, but it's even harder to get in. And you walk in and out of this conference room and meet some of the Y Combinator partners, and they're assessing whether or not to let you and your co-founder and your startup into Y Combinator. The only thing in the conference room is a poster that says "Make something people want," <laughs> which is which is so ridiculous, right? Because it's just, well, duh. But it's super easy to forget that, I think, as an entrepreneur or as um, a, a corporate innovation leader. You can get so wound up about like the, the magic of the thing you're inventing or the, or the or like crazy – What, the, what eight, the best is? Yeah, the eight-layer dream you had of like this perfect future where everyone's in a holographic, levitated state. You know, like you just get – as an entrepreneur or the, or the sort of person with this innovation idea, you can forget the basics that you have to make something people want. And I actually think there's two components to that worth breaking down a little bit or pondering because um, I think we at – the artist that has become chapbooks, we kind of failed both of them. Uh, one is make something. And then, you know, the second one is that people want. In, in the first iteration uh, of the company that's led to chapbooks, we, we made a thing and it was great, but no one wanted to do it. It was really focused on writing journal entries. And lo and behold, you know, people don't want to write journal entries, or at least not in large, large numbers. And they don't want to do it in the way that we set it up, where you're sharing those journal entries with your family and extended family. So, we built a thing that I wanted. So it turns out no one else wanted the thing. But we did do a really good job of making it. But we you know, realized after about a year, boy, no one wants to do this thing. And we can't like seem to force them no matter what we do. So we pivoted at that time to try to solve their photo problem inside their household. So you and your wife have photos spread over eight computers and seven backup drives and six different cloud services. And if you both say, hey, where are the photos from like three summers ago? No one has any idea. So we had a whole bunch of people that said, yeah, that's my problem. Yeah, especially if your wife takes as many pictures as mine. Like <laughs> I, I take tons of like just pictures when I'm out on trips and stuff. Yeah. But I think like for us, like Halloween is like about 40% about the holiday and about 60% getting good pictures of the decorations <laughs> and the costumes. Right. You know? Right. No, totally. So we all, I mean, that was the, the trick there was we built a thing. We did a really good job of building it. Nobody wanted it. So we failed the Y Combinator poster test. We heard a bunch of folks now, they were all saying, I want to get this in a photo book, and we were ignoring that. But we, we did hear, my photos are a mess. And we said, oh, we're a bunch of you know, dorky tech guys, let's fix that. And so we, we set off to build the thing that would magically help you get your photos under control from all these different devices and services. The problem there is we, we couldn't build it. Like We actually, I think, were on a problem that somebody wanted solved, but it's really hard to solve that problem. And we never quite got the solution to be magical enough to where you know the person would get that problem solved. We, we couldn't build it. So I think there's this, thinking about that white combinator poster, whether you know, inside a larger organization or a startup, you have to both be able to make something and that something has to be something that people want. And we, we failed twice at that. And it wasn't until we pivoted to chat books, we could actually make the thing and people really wanted it, that it started to, um, started to work. So yeah. as dumb as that sounds, I think that's the wisdom for me at the top of the, you know, the top of the mountain is yeah. just, you know, keep gut, gut checking yourself. Can you make it? And does anybody want it? It sounds super basic, but I managed to, you know, screw it up for 
you know, good solid three years before we yeah. figured out chat books. So, um, you know, we really like to cover both the, you know, the technical, logistical, like the innovation side of things, but then also like the human, the leadership, the how do you make things magnetic for people to want to do this with you side of things. Yeah. And we're going to talk about more, more about this in, in part two of the interview. But uh, before we break for part two, um, I am such a big fan of your CMO at Chatbooks. We've had her on the show, Rachel Hofsetter. Can you talk about why you wanted someone like Rachel as your chief marketing officer? Oh man, if, if you if if you met Rachel, you want her as your chief life officer. I mean, she's just one of these truly magnetic personalities, um, and she can do anything. So it's uh, she's she's truly is one of these people you meet and you think I've not, you know she's one of the truly special people I've ever met in my life. And that's how we felt when we met her. Funny, funny story. This is actually 100% true. Startfest was a startup event happening in Provo uh, last summer. I think it was sort of late summer 2015. Yeah, be, behind and Rachel like Clint Betts and those guys? Yeah, Clint Betts and the BF Startup guys were organized. It's fantastic. So we, you know, we went down and Rachel was going to be speaking and my wife had like been looking at the schedule of events and trying to figure out what we wanted to go see. And she really wanted to go see Rachel speak. And I said, okay, fine. You know, I, I was just kind of not paying attention. I was looking at my phone and just doing whatever I was doing in my own little world. So she kind of dragged me into this place where Rachel was speaking. I sat down. I hadn't even look up. I was just still fiddling around with my phone and thinking about whatever I was thinking about. Rachel started her talk. And I'm not kidding. Two sentences in, I looked up and I looked over at Vanessa and I said, who is this? And then she said like two more sentences. And I said, we have to hire her. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I don't often get like the amazing gut reaction, you know, instinct thing. I don't claim that's like a superpower. But in this particular case, it's just so incredibly obvious. She's really one of the special, amazing entrepreneurs in Utah. We feel really lucky we're able to acquire her company and have her join our team. Yeah, you know, that's, you know, I guess most of the listeners won't know that since Rachel was on the show, you know, we, we had her on talking about being the founder of Guesterly and, you know, success story for her, her, you guys bought her company. So, yeah, yeah, no, she, she's just fantastic. And she's taken our, you know, she, we've, we've tripled revenues again this year in 2016. No chance we could have done it without Rachel uh, heading and building our marketing team. She's just really incredible. That's quite the endorsement. Well, listen, I think this is a good place to, to stop for part one, but everybody tune into the next episode. Uh, we're going to be asking a, a lot more questions about how Nate got here and what advice he has for the rest of us. Thanks a lot. We're going to cut off part one of the interview there in the interest of time. We've had feedback that people would rather have 20 to 30 minute episodes, so we're going to break the interviews in half. Please check back tomorrow for part two of the interview. And as always, come to iCollective.co for show notes and... To learn more about Child Rescue, go to the menu and and look at our Child Rescue page and see if that's something that you'd like to get involved with. Thanks for listening. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara. Cold cut combo. Veggie delight. Or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.